Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, if you have your Bible with you. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Have you ever seen that like on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or anything like that? In one sense, it's probably meant to say that Christians are not what we're sometimes caricaturized as, as people who think they're morally superior to everyone else. We struggle just like everybody else does. But then you wonder if it downplays unintentionally, downplays forgiveness, just forgiven. Or is it almost endorsing or encouraging laziness in the Christian life, excusing anything that we want to do since we can just say, hey, nobody's perfect, right? We aren't perfect. And we are forgiven. But in our text tonight, the Apostle Paul makes clear that maturity is living well in the tension between those two things. In the first 11 verses of chapter 3, it couldn't have been more clear that we must have absolutely zero confidence in our flesh to gain us any standing before God. Paul, who had a fantastic resume, wants to be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, which is by faith in verse 9. Why? Because Paul wanted to know Christ in verse 10. This is the worthwhile pursuit of the Christian life. But it isn't just meant to be Paul's pursuit. We don't read it like a a biography. He writes so that we would all think this way. And so Paul makes an argument in our text tonight for a restless resting in this life. The sufficiency of Christ gives us the confidence to rest in Him fully for our salvation while living with an ever-increasing restlessness with who we are. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that it endures no matter how often or how hard it is. Those have tried to stamp it out. Father, I thank You that it remains. I pray tonight that we, Your people here in Moundsville, would receive Your Word with humility as it is able to save our souls, may you help me to preach so that the text might be understood and revealed to us. Father, please help everyone who hears to listen, to believe this word, to agree with you. Father, as we sit under it, we ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So beginning in verse 12 of chapter 3, he writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This is Paul reckoning with the salvation he's talked about earlier in chapter 3. He doesn't look at his standing in Christ's perfect righteousness as a reason not to keep growing. In fact, it motivates him to mature. There is a sense in which the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to us as the source and means of our justification It changes us in real time. It makes us want to experience it. We press on as believers to live into what we are. To stop being what we are in our flesh. And to become what we are in the Holy Spirit. Paul wants to lay hold of what's been given to him. Which is what Christ has laid hold of him for. Eternal fellowship face to face with Jesus Christ. This is the fuel for the Christian life. 
Our standing with God in Christ is secure. We are fully forgiven, fully righteous, fully justified and accepted. Our souls have every reason to be at rest. And yet, we still have this ache that we feel more often than maybe other times. Something isn't right. It feels far off. We have all this and yet it feels just out of reach. We want to take hold of all of it. Salvation doesn't make us complacent. It makes us ache. We have a new ache inside to get what God says is already ours. And it frustrates us because of texts like this morning, right? That it won't, that sense of being there, it won't come through zeal. It will only come through faith. It will only come through empty-handed trust rather than by our own strength. We're used to seeing what we want and going after it and attaining it. And the Christian life and all that we've been given in Christ doesn't work like that. And that's frustrating. It makes us restless. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, which he has. Remember, we all have. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The one thing Paul does, pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, depends on two things for Paul. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Rest and restlessness. We have rest for our souls because our past is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. All our sins are forgiven. Our sinfulness is forgiven. We are declared not guilty by the death of Jesus and counted righteous by His resurrection. By grace through faith, we are now found in Christ where all the blessings of all the promises God has made to His people come flowing to us. His Spirit has sealed us and God keeps us through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. So, Christian, make sure you find the rest for your soul that being known by Jesus gives. And the key to that is forgetting what is behind. Forget your record of sin. Forget the record of your accomplishments. Leave the past in the past. Christ has done it all. Don't keep track of what you've done. Don't keep track of how you've gotten better. Don't measure. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Live by faith. There's no confidence or hope in what's behind us. But know this. There is a reaching in the resting. There are far better things ahead than what we leave behind. C.S. Lewis said, our souls are reaching for them. We want to be. We want to look like what God says we are. We want to see it and even feel it. Just as we are simultaneously saint and sinner. In fact, because we're that, we are also simultaneously content and dissatisfied. We don't like where we are. We don't like what remains of the flesh in us. There's no place for laziness or complacency in us. We aren't okay with the ongoing struggle. We never just accept it, right? Our flesh or the Spirit makes us What the flesh does to us makes us ache for renewal, for the body of death to finally be put away with, for what is corrupted to take on incorruption. We are never satisfied with ourselves. 
We are only satisfied with Christ for us. Verse 15, Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, what is Christian maturity? While we may measure maturity by our deeds, things we're doing now, things we've stopped doing, right? We see that as maturity. And in a sense, of course it is. But Paul measures maturity mainly by the way we think about ourselves. By our perspective. Christian maturity is not a place that we get to where we can just rest on our laurels because of how well we're doing and just sit back and wait for the second coming. Nor is Christian maturity learning to somehow be okay with our sinfulness and become unrepentant because we're, you know, we, we, we don't let it bother us anymore. Maturity comes when the eyes of our faith are fixed on what has been promised to us, not on ourselves. Be it the, the left side or the right side, right? Either side. Maturity is not a level of goodness we reach and it's not a level of complacency that we reach. Maturity is when we are fully resting in Christ and all that He is for us while simultaneously remaining dissatisfied with our present condition. Some of us never question ourselves at all. We, we never consider whether or not we're glorifying God. We never consider whether or not there are things in us that need to change, that maybe we need to repent and to change our thinking and to change our outlook and our perspective. Dissatisfaction with our present condition isn't a fear that we aren't saved. It's a frustration with the fact that we often don't look like it. There's really nothing more immature than a Christian that thinks he or she has arrived. If we're here, we haven't arrived. We think that there's no room left or no need left to grow, to have faith, to reach for the goal. What in your life requires faith? Think about that. What in your life requires faith? What about you and your walk with Christ requires faith? Or is it all in your hands? This is actually the tension we're meant to live with. Not striving to be or to do what's been done for us and provided for us in Christ. But while believing it is ours now, we ache to take hold of it. God says I'm this and I want to be that. Right? I don't, we don't um, become satisfied with falling short of the glory of God. Confidence in ourselves for anything having to do with God is as dangerous as complacency with sin. And so Paul says at the end of verse 15, listen, if any of you think he has arrived or that he has no room to grow, God will reveal to you that you're wrong. He loves us, therefore he will chasten us. We, we, we have to put chapter 3 together, right? Paul knew he was perfect in Christ and he didn't want, remember, read verses 12 through 16 in light of the fact that Paul does not want to have any righteousness of his own to look to. That's not what he's talking about here. So he's not going back on what he just said. He's saying that, I know I have this, but I want to live up to it. I want to be what God says I am. That's a level of maturity that 
probably none of us has arrived at yet. I certainly haven't. But all of us need to be reaching for. Beloved, we live in the tension between two worlds. And if we don't feel it, we probably aren't awake yet. And we aren't reaching. We're coasting. We don't strive to get saved. We strive to believe that we are. So that we might walk, we might walk in newness of life. You have your salvation, beloved. Take hold of it, Paul says. Leave this world behind. Leave your sin behind. Leave your attempts at righteousness behind. Fix your eyes on Him and run. Maturity in the Christian life will only come through self-forgetfulness. It's our obsession with ourselves and our own works that hurts our faith and keeps us from loving and serving our neighbors as Christ would have us. The best of Paul, not just the worst, is what he wants to forget and leave behind that he may press on towards the goal. So, pressing on towards the goal is this beautiful, tension-filled life where we know that we're safe and we're never satisfied. And that dissatisfaction is not unbelief. It is faith. It's faith that Christ has me even when I haven't lived up to it yet, and yet I want to. To do this, Paul says, he has to forget himself. He has to forget what lies behind him and reach for what lies beyond him. No one obsessed with themselves and their own performance will reach maturity. They'll stay in the same place, never quite getting it. And no one obsessed with their own sins and shortcomings will reach maturity. We'll believe in the power of the cross less and less and less. But God is relentless to assure us of what is ours. So even tonight, if we're stuck, bent in on ourselves, God is going to continue to shine His light on us. He will not stop working in us to complete what He started. He will not stop. Verse 16, Nevertheless, To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. The more we share Paul's hunger and thirst to know Christ, that's what all this is about. That's what he wanted. That's in the earlier part of the passage, what he wanted, where he didn't feel like he was yet, that he really knew him. That's what he's talking about here in 12 through 16, to know Christ. The more we have that hunger and thirst that he had the more aware of the fact we're going to be that we haven't yet arrived. Paul's Greek here in verses 15 and 16 has a little pun in it, really. It's kind of hard to see in English because we translate. um, There are two ways to translate this word that's mature here. It's mature or perfect, but it's not perfect in the sense of flawless. Well, he's doing this on purpose. If you remember, in verse 12, Paul said he was not already perfect. But here in verse 15, he uses an adjective to describe those like him whose thinking is mature. So in some translations, or in the original, it will read the perfect ones. And he's being facetious because, like I said, he already said he's not that. The same word for perfect can mean mature, as in no longer childish, but short of flawless. So he's admitting he hasn't arrived, but he does want the language to jar us a little bit. There is a kind of perfect we can attain, but it's in our thinking. It's in our perspective. His point is that the only perfect Christians, 
perfect ones are the ones who truly know they're imperfect and aren't trying to fool anyone otherwise, which is really where the rub is. Our motivation for living the Christian life might be our own image rather than the glory of God. Some of us find in the church a place to become somebody and to be something. It's like when... uh, if a parent is, is really harsh to a child, it makes them feel small and weak. You know, and as they grow, they're going to be trying to fill that void. And so they'll be extra hard on others and unforgiving and unkind. And we can do that in the church. We can use the church as a place to really become somebody and, and strengthen our, you know, our standing and our image and all these things we can't get at work or can't get at home or in, or can't find in the world. We can use the church to do this. So we'll all admit we aren't perfect, but we aren't going to let people know how and when we're not perfect. Right? Nobody says I'm perfect. Nobody says that. Everybody says, no, I'm, I'm not perfect. Well, how? Where exactly are your imperfections? Dennis Johnson writes that Paul isn't even his point here is not to divide us up between like there are spiritual babies and then there's the spiritually mature. That's not really what he's after. He's saying to all of us, all believers there in Philippi here tonight, the closest to perfection that any of us will get in this life is to see that we've not reached the finish line, but we must keep running toward the goal. Mature Christians must think as Paul does, painfully aware of our pockets of immaturity but eagerly anticipating the moment when we cross the finish line and receive the prize, seeing Jesus clearly and being changed by that sight. Remember that the core of Paul's argument here, what he's going after overall in Philippians, is to get these Philippian believers united around the common goal and singular conflict for the sake of the faith of the gospel. So, how does all this tie into that? He's saying here that if we will take our own imperfection seriously, if we take it seriously, it won't just give us the patience to address what's still wrong with us without frustration or complacency, but also to bear with one another in our weaknesses. Remember, you you only can export what you have. And in verses 15 and 16, in this area where we still desperately need to grow, Paul assures us that God will show us when our perspective is out of step with the norm. The question is, will we realize that's what God is doing? This is how all Christians have to think. Paul is displaying the mindset we all must have. But he knows we're still in process. We don't all grow at the same pace or in the same places or the same convictions or attitudes and actions. But we can be patient. There's no need to get upset. We can be patient because God holds us fast even in our own immaturity. So let us just keep holding true to what God has revealed to us in Christ. Never doubt the source and the means of your justification. Never doubt it. 
when you feel the tension inside, when you feel the gap between who you are and who God says you are, don't stop believing the gospel is what makes you right with God. But also don't be content. Don't, don't be content with not wanting it. There is both encouragement and exhortation here so that we aren't disheartened when we see the distance to the finish line as far as we know, right? As far as we can see. Restless resting. The sufficiency of Christ gives us the confidence to rest in Him fully for our salvation while living with an ever-increasing restlessness with who we are. There's a way to rest in Christ fully and take your sin very seriously. And take your shortcomings very seriously. Right? It's, it's, it's not doubting the promise. It's wanting to know Christ. Right? To truly know Him. There's no perfection to be had here. So let none of us think he or she has arrived. We are forgetting and we're reaching. The past, I cannot look behind me. And if Paul is forgetting those things which are behind, here he mainly means his righteousness. That which he could have counted towards the righteousness of Christ if he was thinking incorrectly or faithlessly in his zeal for God. But we are resting and we are restless. Right? What if we prized repentance more than performance in the church? What if that's what we did? What if people saw us being repentant? Right? Confessing our sins. Rather than just trying to look like we don't sin. And we don't struggle. Not only would it become a place that sinners felt more welcome walking into, it would also become a place of unity and peace and we get rallied around the one thing that has set us free, that transcends what we are. Repentance is the Christian life. We're resting and we're restless. We know that we haven't arrived even though we have all the promise. That's the tension of chapter 3. But that, that that's normally not what we prize right the, the altar the, the coming to the front the invitation you know I, I don't put a lot of stock in that but other people do so I always wonder is there no repentance to be had is there no showing that I need to get things together we know the work is done but we don't yet see his face so we strive to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us to see His face, to cross the finish line, to live with Him forever. I'm here now, but I want to get there. And I know I'm safe here, but I'd rather be there. This is how Paul talks all through the letter to the Philippians. He will get us there. In the meantime, we ache and we're restless. But beloved, that is a blessing. That is a blessing. Embrace the struggle. Don't become complacent. But embrace the fact that perfect is not attainable here. But it's what we want. 